trees and news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Shit is the fucking worst right now. Absolute uh, garbage. It is <laughs> Every second I'm like, well, this is the fucking worst it can get. You wake up and fucking Chadwick Boseman died. Uh, Guys, we're going to get to it in a second. I have to get through some other stuff first. But I am like, I, I feel like everyone is devastated right now. But especially right now for like little black kids, I'm just like, God fucking damn it. Like, what the fuck else is going to happen? I'm just like, uh, I'm just, I'm legitimately, and I can't even articulate it beyond this. I'm so sad. I know. I I saw it. The news come through. I'm sure that's why I was just saying I had a terrible time sleeping. And I'm sure that just the sense of, oh, are right. you? Right. Because it, it dropped, uh, <laughs> the they broke the news last night, right? Because I, I completely stay off Twitter at night or my brain uh, will not shut down and allow me to sleep. So I like after 9 PM, I just stay off Twitter, but everybody found out last night, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so fucking awful that literally the only unproblematic fave on earth (laughs) was taken from it. He was, and again, we'll we'll talk about it in a little bit. He's just so brilliant and so committed to his craft, and he would have done a million fascinating projects. And he did so much with the time he had, and he had fucking stage four cancer when he was making the Marvel films. Are you fucking kidding me? Like it's hard enough just to live through the day when you have stage four cancer and he was doing advanced stunts and doing really long hours. Like it, I can't fucking believe it. I know. Uh, it's yes, it's just sad. And so sad. Yeah. So we'll get to that in the bad news section, but I just like, I couldn't contain myself because I found out this morning and I was just fucking devastated, but I wanted, before we get to our bad news section, I wanted to thank a couple people. I wanted to thank Jaime, who's a new Patreon supporter of mine, and also Esteban over at my Patreon, who I made this announcement last week. Patreon is now offering a a new thing where if you sign up for an annual membership, they give you a little discount, like a 16% discount. So Esteban wrote me and said, thanks for the announcement about the Patreon annual membership discount. I just updated my membership. Yay. Esteban, thank you. And they also send a, a message that I wanted to read. I wanted to share some good news of various sizes Number one, in about an hour, I'm going to be participating in the Black Convention run by the Movement for Black Lives. It's been a bright light at the end of the tunnel of August, and I'm excited for the convention. Yay, Black August. Two, the Black Star Film Festival went virtual this year, and folks from around the world were able to participate through online screenings. It usually happens here in Philly and is the largest film festival of independent black films, sometimes starring black actors, sometimes black directors, or otherwise black speculative concepts in the films themselves. It was great this year. Three, 
AOC introduced legislation for employee ownership this month, echoing proposals from Bernie and Warren, and it's been supported by some very conservative Republicans. So there's a good chance of it being adopted at some point, even if it's in next year's Congress. Having the government support workers become owners of cooperative businesses is very good news. And then finally, for... Esteban, I love all of this good news, by the way. This is making my life right now because I was so sad. For the Worker Co-op Conference is around the corner, kicking off on September 10th and 11th. It's free online, and I'll be interviewing Naomi Klein as one of our keynotes. Maurice Mitchell, who is the national director of the Working Families Party and a BLM leader, is the other keynote. I'm staying home and causing so much good trouble. XOXO Esteban. Esteban, truly, that message made my day. Thank you so much. What great news. You sound like you're doing amazing. I'm really proud of you. Um, and thank you for writing and supporting. That's so, so awesome. I God. know. I Yeah, I know. Any good news from people, I'm just like, man, you're killing it. Good for you. Um, especially at this time in our history. <laughs> <laughs> like anyone being productive, anyone getting shit done. I'm just like, man, you're amazing. Um, and it makes me feel so good that you're a supporter of mine because you're doing so much good work yourself. Uh, so everybody, please support um, everything Esteban was talking about. That's so cool about the Black Star Film Festival. Um, that's really amazing. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. So while we're in the recommendation section... Um, oh, and then I guess I should mention patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. That's my Patreon if you want to go support over there. Lighttreason.news is uh, just the regular way to support the show. But if you sign up at my Patreon, there's some bonus episodes up over there. Um, just a bunch of bonus content. If, if you like what I do, a bunch of other stuff of mine is up over there. So... While we're in the recommendation section, again, we're going to get to all the badness in the world in a second. But <laughs> Meredith, can we talk about First Cow? I was going to say, I hope this is the time when we talk about First Cow. Okay. So if you are unaware, First Cow is this, I guess it's fair to call it a smaller film, right? That I only first heard about because I'm subscribed to a bunch of film podcasts and a couple of them had had started to talk about first cow it's from a24 um directed by kelly uh reichardt and it's based on the book the half-life by jonathan raymond and it is exactly what it sounds like it is a film about I guess ostensibly the first cow that is transported to the United States. <laughs> um, but really it's about this friendship between uh, a guy who is traveling with a bunch of fur traders, but he himself is a cook and a Chinese immigrant who is, man, having a rough time at it. And it's about their friendship. And it's a really pure, sweet film um and i i thought it was beautiful i've heard from some people that they found it to be slow um maybe i have a slightly longer attention span i did not find it slow i adore this movie i think that anyone who actually wants to feel 
some sense of happiness, optimism in the world should watch every movie she's ever done, even the ones that are super depressing, because I just have never seen a person tell stories that feel so small, but also so true to life and so beautiful with all of the good and bad. And yes, I think some people might find it slow, but this, there's a woman out in the world making incredibly thoughtful movies about male friendship that have nothing to do with toxicity. And we need more of that. Yeah, that's what I found so powerful about it. Where like, I guess you would describe these two characters as beta males. <laughs> like, they're they're not what you they're not what you would think of when you think of like the rough and tumble pioneer men who like built this country. Blah 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 blah. Like that whole propaganda narrative. These are two men who, I mean, they're like home caretakers. Like the first thing, uh. Cookie does when he's visiting um, the other character's name who I'm spacing on. Uh, hold on. Let me look up the character names. I feel like I watch three movies a day now, so I instantly forget all character names, everything like that. Um, oh, so, but I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, King Lou. So when Cookie goes to King Lou's shack, his home like the first thing he does is collect flowers to put in the home to make it nicer like these are just very sensitive thoughtful men who have this wonderful friendship that I was a little disappointed I was listening to a podcast uh, a film review podcast where they sort of suggested like is there a romantic relationship here and to me the whole point of the film is that there's not a romantic relationship that these are two cis heterosexual men who have a very deep loving friendship and we never get to see that for the most part for you know most of the time in film and I think it's really important to stress it's about a friendship an actual friendship and a partnership right because they start yeah. a business together where like you know King Lou is such a hustler and he's always thinking about how to how to survive in this country and he realizes like cookies a really good cook and they can make this bread that people will like and they start a business together which is just like fascinating to watch how they do that um but yeah i i think it's interesting because we usually don't see a story about these types of men in history and it's really important to remember that these types of men are real they exist and they're wonderful <laughs> yeah and i think that the idea that we're still telling stories about the frontier and about American expansion and feel so tied to the idea that the only people who actually went through these arduous journeys to try and set up a society were these tough macho alphas that were out here killing indigenous people and hacking their way through a wilderness. Like the only reason that America exists in any, you know, well, to what degree there is anything good still happening in American society? It's the people like Cookie and King Lou who put that together, not yeah. the John Waynes. Exactly. And like, when's the last time you saw a film about, you know, the, the pioneering Northwest in early America where there is a Chinese immigrant character, you know, like and Ori Orion Lee is so fucking good. You know, like, I mean, John McGarrow is 
amazing too. They cast them perfectly, but it was just so cool to see a character like King Lou. It's like, we never see these types of characters represented in, in film for the most part. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like people who wanted to make the relationship between these two characters into something that had sexual tension is just a fundamental misunderstanding of both the kind of stories Kelly Reichardt tells and also just indicative of a huge lack of imagination because film is a powerful medium, storytelling is a powerful medium, and there are many more stories that are worth telling than just ones where people fuck. Yeah, it's revealing, right, that they can't consider or accept that these men are just friends. They're like, well, this must be like one of those artsy gay films, right? (laughs) (laughs) This this can't be about two straight men because we never see these types of straight men in film. Like it's it's revealing that their imagination was that limited Um, and not necessarily like a fault of their own. Like we 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 just see those types of films, you know? Yeah. And and yeah. We don't need to we're well past the time when we need Todd Haynes movies and only Todd Haynes movies <laughs> to do this stuff I think I just think it's so also we haven't even talked about how the cow is a fucking star I think you mean Evie Evie is the name of the cow the cow actor in in the film and I just have to say the chemistry between the cow and Cookie is like off the charts I would have been totally fine if there was an entire like I guess there is a B storyline just with them but like a C and a D storyline as well because again frankly the chemistry was amazing (laughs) absolutely true we need more cow actors we do and I like I know it was probably a hassle like having a cow on set was probably a whole thing but (laughs) I want to see more representation of cows in film after this truly oh by the way and I just want to give a general shout out and this is not a spoiler I just want everyone to be prepared when they watch this film which again you should watch Aaliyah Shaw cats in it and there needs to be a disclaimer on this film because it takes you out of it for a second uh, it opens in present day, which again, I was not prepared for and Aaliyah Shaw cats in it. And that's all I'll say, but I just feel like you should be braced. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely prepare yourself. It is odd, but also just, Oh, I just love it. And I've, every other movie I've watched in the last several months feels like such a downer. So dark. Yeah, especially what we're going to talk about in today's episode. I was like, it, like, not to say that the movie's not sad, because there are obviously sad elements to it. Um, and it's like a really hard time that they're living in. So they struggle a lot. And, you know, there's there's adversity to overcome. But the core of the movie is about the love in this friendship. And it's so beautiful and like it really will make you reflect on friendships in your own life and yeah I don't know it it like I'm sad that it's so rare to see something like that in movies because I think it would be really beneficial for everyone if we saw more of it yeah um and just I'm gonna recommend a couple of Kelly Reichardt's movies that I think are excellent if you're into this stuff I mean she made the movie Old Joy, which is about two friends who have sort of drifted apart as one of them 
forms a family and becomes kind of more of a grown-up and then the friend who's a little bit of a wanderer. And the only thing that happens is they go for a hike into the woods in the Pacific Northwest and just sort of talk and relate to one another and struggle to connect over the course of their diverging histories. And Yeah, it's uh, interesting because I've heard criticism of her films, usually from male critics, and usually the central criticism is her films are boring and slow. And having seen First Cow, I'm like, are they boring and slow or is it a female sensibility and viewpoint that you're not used to? Yeah. And also, how dare you say that, um, you know, it's hard to pay attention to or, uh, you know, to feel engaged with the movie Wendy and Lucy, the most devastating piece of cinema I have ever seen and it's just about a woman who loses her dog. Oh, God. I uh, feel like I'm too fragile to watch oh, no. right now. That is, if, you are, if you feel very, very brave, like, and I don't mean in the horror movie way, genuinely brave, watch this movie. Michelle Williams pulls into a small town in... Oh, again, and Michelle Williams is in it? I'm not, I'm not strong um, enough, Meredith. She's, she's, in an, um, she's economically precarious. She rides in and her car, car breaks down. She's got her dog... And then things, then she confronts an increasing series of challenges. What after a little shit of a grocery store manager busts her for shoplifting. So I'm and, sorry, you want me to watch a film in which a poor Michelle Williams is struggling and then her fucking dog dies. The dog doesn't die. She just has oh. custody of the dog. And oh, she, she just, well, that, back. that's worse, Meredith. It's still alive <laughs> and she loses the dog. Absolutely not. Not right now. Not uh, in 2020. Yeah. No. And I mean, that movie came out in like 2008 is nope. basically right around the moment of the financial crisis, 2008 or 2009. Oh my God. I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. Um, but yeah, I, I do highly recommend uh, First Cow. I also wanted to talk about our feelings about guys. I don't know if you saw this trailer, but a couple of very brave people decided to do something a little different. And there's a new gritty Batman movie coming out. And I know we're really used to the sort of um, funny. fun, funny Batman with like very um, vibrant colors, cartoony, you know, um, it's never been done before, but now there's a gritty Batman movie out. And it sounds like I'm being very, very sarcastic right now. And I am, but also uh, I'm going to see this fucking movie and I'm pumped because they very wisely cast everybody that you preferably would like to have sex with in this movie. We got Robert Pattinson. We got uh, Zoe Kravitz. We got Paul Dano. We got, fuck it, Colin Farrell. Let's just throw him in as uh, well. And the cast is amazing. I don't know. I'm I'm going to fucking watch it. They better not. I better not, though, see. I don't want to see the fucking Wayne parents die again because we see this in every Batman movie. We see the broken pearls, blah, 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 blah. We get it. Change it up. Do something different. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, Bruce killed his parents in this one. That'd be cool. <laughs> maybe Bruce imagined his parents and actually he <gasps> sprang fully formed from the brain of Zeus. Ooh, I like that. I'd rather watch that than see Martha Wayne's uh, pearls get broken for the 80th million time. Yeah, I I think that 
Pattinson's been bringing us so much goodness well, in the last few great. years. Yeah. I hope he brings deranged oddness to this and really plays up the menace of being Bruce Wayne. I love, I love fucking fascist. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I said, unlike Christian Bale, who basically played Batman, like a fucking fascist. Yeah. But to be fair, Batman is a fascist. Batman is yeah. a horrible, horrible billionaire who beats up mentally ill people. That that's Batman. That's why the villains in Batman are always more popular than Batman himself, because you kind of root for the Joker. It's like, yeah, this dude's mentally ill and fuck Bruce Wayne. He's got all the money in the world. And like, what is he doing? I mean, I guess he has an orphanage that he funds. But other than that, it's like, why don't you properly fund Arkham Asylum so that these poor people are getting access <laughs> to <laughs> help that they so clearly need? Gotham, get your shit together. I know um, he was funding Arkham Asylum. You know that he would staff it entirely with people who did like... 19th century cures for hysteria. Oh, true. <laughs> it would be even worse. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's better that he's hands off about Arkham. Um, so also in trailer news and also again, my very specific taste. Oh, I know what I was going to bring up before <laughs> going back to my very specific taste. I can't think of a more divisive film in maybe the past five years than the lighthouse. Because there are people whose film taste I trust implicitly who were like, this is the worst film I've ever seen. And I knew going in that I was going to love it because it's just extremely my jam. And I, I did indeed lo love it. I loved it so much. Uh, anytime, any place, my commitment to all of you is I will watch the fucking lighthouse with you. Um, and, but I had very good friends who were like, I fucking hate this film so much, but also I, I understand, you know, I'm like, yes, it is a very specific kind of film. So on that note, the trailer for I'm thinking of ending things, uh, Charlie Kaufman's new film, Charlie Kaufman's back after many, many years, shockingly, if you listen to interviews with him, he couldn't get funding for a film that he wanted to make, which is just crazy to me. Uh, Cause it's not like he makes hugely expensive films, but he like, truly he was like, I couldn't get people to give me $5 million to make a film. Which is ridiculous. He's made some of the greatest, weirdest, yes, divisive, but truly incredible movies of the last like 25 years. And what bums me out is I don't think it's enough that like dude made being John Malkovich, one of the most successful cult classics of all time but it's still like considered a gamble to give him money because he is so weird and if you see the trailer from thinking of ending things it's very unsettling it's clearly going to be a very weird film i'm so fucking excited but it makes me sad that charlie kaufman still has to like fight to be taken seriously like what else does this dude have to do no, I know. And I think, yeah, I, I don't want to be in his brain, but I'm glad that his brain is making movies. And I still don't know how I felt about Synecdoche, New York. Me either. Me either. I, and I, you know what? I don't even really remember it. All I remember is that I have absolutely no way of saying whether I, I mean, whether I liked it, whether I thought it was good, whether it was bad. I just remember that like 
the combination of Charlie Kaufman's brain and Philip Seymour Hoffman being the star of the movie was almost too much like simmering neurosis. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I remember it being a lot and I remember it being like, uh, I don't know if I like this, but it's interesting and I'll keep watching it. But I love that. And you never, did you get to see She Dies Tomorrow yet? I did. Oh, okay, great. Let's talk about that because I, watching Amy Simitz's film, She Dies Tomorrow, felt for me a lot like watching some of Charlie Kaufman's work in that I was glad I was watching it. I was aware, very much aware of my brain while I was watching it because so often what happens when you watch film is we're re, re, we are revisiting the same kinds of narrative structure, predictable plot points. We're in the familiarly um, treaded crevices of our brain. And when you watch something like Charlie Kaufman's films or She Dies Tomorrow you are aware that you're in a different part of your brain and it can feel like a little unsettling and not good. And yeah. <laughs> for me, the beginning of she dies tomorrow was all in a bad part of my brain where I was like, I, this is boring. I don't like this. There's no fucking point to this movie. And then we hit a stride about like 10 minutes into the film. Like it, it takes a while, but then yeah. when we get there, I was like, Oh, I think this is very cool. Yeah, it did take a little bit for me to get a sense of what she was trying to do. You know, like, it's very unsettling and very, I mean, I, I guess almost certainly purposefully alienating a little bit. But once you, like, your brain has to adjust to the mental disorder of the main character and the rest of the people who interact with her. And once you've made that shift, everything, like, the dread is so overwhelming i mean it is i was deeply impressed by this tiny incredibly weird little movie i guess what we should we should explain a little bit and it's not a spoiler because it's the whole premise of the film she dies tomorrow is about uh, a woman who is infected with an idea and the idea is that she's going to die tomorrow and anybody she talks to or shares that idea with is also infected and it sort of, it spreads like a plague. And we see this unfold through like six or seven characters. And the way the, the narrative structure is, is that we follow the idea through the characters. So we leave the central protagonist. We move on to the character number two, who infects character number three, on and on and on. Um, and that's the film. And once they hit that stride, once Amy hits that stride where it's like, oh, this is the film. I was like, this is very cool. But it does take a while to get there. Yeah. And the I thought the actors were great. It was I was really impressed just by all of these people that I'm used to seeing in things that are funny and yes. pleasant. But, uh, you know, because it's it's Katie Asselton who does has done a lot of comedy. She was on The League, but she's also a filmmaker um, she's married to Mark Duplass, so they're like mumblecore history. Chris Messina, 
I was not expecting to see him. Man, he he has grown on me so much. Like between this and Birds of Prey, I'm like, he's just such a cool dude and he makes such cool decisions. Yeah. And uh, also, I was not expecting to see Jane Addams uh, because I've loved yeah. her since the 90s when she was on the TV show Relativity. And about- she, I think she's, <laughs> yeah, she's almost like the co-protagonist in, in the film. And she's so good. I was really glad to see her. I do think it was deliberate that they cast all of these usually funny people because one of the themes of the movie, I think, is that human beings, we, we go out of our way so much to not acknowledge that we're going to die. Like the fact that there's a moment where, uh, Jane, uh, Jane Adams character, uh, just says out loud, I'm going to die tomorrow. I guess a bunch of characters say that in the film, but you don't ever say that out loud. And she's saying it at a party, which is very funny. Like the, ex- <laughs> the exact moment, a birthday party, an exact moment where you would never want to bring that energy into the room. It's very, very funny to see people just so desperate not to acknowledge that death is real or ever going to happen to them. Yes. And I, I, I've, always been aware of Amy Simons in her work. I know she's been in a lot of, of indie stuff. I've seen her in, you know, playing smaller roles in bigger movies. She's the wife in The New Pet Cemetery. Uh, but I just can't believe that we're not giving her a shitload of money yeah. to explore and make movies. I would, yeah, even though the I don't like the beginning of this film, I... I, I, I found it very interesting, but I wouldn't necessarily say I liked it. I, it, I feel very conflicted about it, but I would fully want to see her get a lot of money. Cause I think she's just got such an interesting perspective and brain. I will say uh, a trigger warning for people that there is a visual trick she uses in this film where there's flashing lights that go from blue to red and it's gorgeous it's really breathtaking but i would imagine if you are epileptic or or even like cuspy which i can be sometimes if there's like flashing lights it could be potentially very triggering so uh just a heads up there i was okay like i actually i found it really really hypnotic and beautiful to watch but uh just want to give people a heads up that does happen yeah absolutely uh any more recommendations oh my god uh, what other movies? I've watched so many. I can barely remember. There, I, I have a whole document, like a list I have to keep, or I truly forget what I've watched. Uh, I am. I will say I'm excited for uh, the second season of The Boys, which is now out. Uh, oh, shit. Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah I got to watch that. Should I watch fucking the second season of Umbrella Academy? I am too old to be spending time dealing with the Umbrella Academy. Okay. I didn't watch season. I feel like it's it's not for me. Like the okay. version. Okay, maybe maybe that's why the first season did absolutely nothing for me. I was yeah. like, should I give the second season a chance? But you actually, that gives me a nice out. It's just not for me. Yeah, I feel like if you needed that version or that kind of television show and you're around our age you're more millennial uh just watch the fucking magicians and yeah it's so good like 
be hot. I mean, I feel like that's better. And also the magician does not have somebody who believes 9-11 was an inside job. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. No, we don't need it. Not in 2020. Um, not. All right, guys, that's enough recommendations. It's that time of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here is your bad news. So, obviously, I wanted to talk about Chadwick Boseman dying. Um, It turns out that he had been, uh, you know, dealing with stage four colon cancer for many years, including when he was making all of the Marvel films, when he was playing Jackie Robinson. Press tour for Black Panther. Yeah. Like, very ill. I, uh... I cannot imagine. Yeah, and it's really revealing when you go back and you look at some of those and read some of the interviews he did during that time where well, one of the journalists posted like a um, an excerpt from his interview with him and he was like, man, you're doing a lot. You must be really tired. And Chadwick just laughed and he was like, you have no idea. Because <laughs> oh, like, God. I mean, yeah, I mean, other than his, I imagine his immediate family nobody knew that he was dealing with this and by the way it was nobody's fucking business anyway and that was totally his right not to share that with anyone um but it's just extraordinary because he was also at this time like going to visit terminally ill kids in the hospital as black panther and like you know doing charity work like that Um, And yeah, he was just an amazing dude. You know, he spoke frequently in support of of Black Lives Matter and and the protesters. And he was a real source of inspiration for so many reasons to so many people. And it just it profoundly sucks that it's happening right now, because, you know, obviously we're going to talk about Jacob Blake and, and police brutality. And he was just such a shining moment of joy for so many little black kids because they finally got to see a superhero who looks like them and like I don't know I don't know how to feel about like and it's also not important right now but in terms of like the future of the character of Black Panther I know a lot of people want to see that character retired forever or or go to a different actor to become something else I do hope that Marvel has more Black Panther moments, you know, because I do think it's really important for representation for little black kids to see people who look like them in films. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there is a way or there could be a way to really honor what he brought to the character and to the franchise and to the the movie while, you know, relying on some of the other actors that he starred with. I mean, it's not as if, I mean, the whole, the greatest thing about Black Panther was that it had all of these unbelievable female characters who right. played so well off of him. And I think there's, you know, there could be room to do that. But at the same time, if they do retire the character out of respect for him in the movies, I think that makes a lot of sense, too, because he was pretty damn indelible. Yeah, there is a version of the comics where 
uh, Shuri, his sister, played by Letitia Wright, becomes Black Panther, um, I believe, or they were considering that at some point. Um, that could be cool. Yeah, there were the supporting characters in the film were so great. I would really hate to see the whole franchise just stop because of that. And I think, like, you know, that would be devastating to so many people. Um, but yeah, it's just a reminder too that, you know, a lot of health is invisible and someone can be disabled or struggling with something really, really profound and not look sick. And it's just really important to remember that because like, you know, people, people suck. Like I've, I've seen people like pull an attitude or roll their eyes if somebody is waiting for the elevator or something because they don't look like they're a person with a disability. And it's like, you have no fucking idea what people are dealing with day in, day out. And someone like Chadwick Boseman, you know, like incredibly handsome, incredibly physically fit, like looks very physically fit. Um, Even someone like him could be dealing with something. So just a reminder to like treat people with compassion. Yeah. And also because it would be terrible not to, to talk about this. This is a reminder that black men and black people in America have terrible health outcomes because of systematic medical discrimination and black men are many, many times more likely to pass you know, to die from colon cancer specifically than white men because they're not, they don't get tested until it's too late. Well, and then sometimes even when they go to see a doctor, if they're in physical pain, black people at much higher rates are dismissed by doctors, told there's nothing wrong with them and sent home and horrible things can happen because of that, because there is this racist stereotype that black people are just stronger and they can handle more pain. And it's, it's profoundly fucked up. Yeah. Which is literally the legacy of, of what people made up in order to justify treating them so brutally when they were enslaved. And I have, I, it's heartbreaking that, And again, that just that all the resources and all of the fame in the world will not protect you from from the systemic hatred, you know, systemic anti-blackness and everything that comes with that. And if it, you know, if losing Chadwick Boseman helps make, you know, helps bring people into a little bit more compassion or understanding or just get some young fathers to go and get checked out and insisting then that would be a pretty amazing legacy. But it's absolutely heartbreaking that it has to be a legacy and not an anecdote. That yeah, he, tells he his, life, his life is like a Twilight Zone episode where it's like, what if I told you you could have all of this fame and notoriety and you're Black Panther, but you die by the age of 40? And it's like, I like he he's amazing because he did so much like his career is really amazing but obviously everyone was like and he's just getting started and then you know this happened and everybody was really just blindsided by it um but yeah so also in bad news you guys i guess we should talk about the rnc 
even though like there's not enough hours in the day for me to actually fact check everything, um, all the lies <laughs> that were said during uh, the RNC, four nights of it. Um, Trump alone, CNN fact checked like at least 20 misstatements he made in a single speech when he officially uh, accepted the nomination for 2020 uh in that speech alone he made 20 misstatements and like crazy things like this accusation that democrats want to abolish the suburbs they don't defund the police i wish but no sadly biden is like allergic to that idea um and like Suburbs would be a pretty fantastic follow-up to Ben Folds' solo album, Rockin' the Suburbs, though. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) So, oh, yeah, Laura Trump misquoted Abraham Lincoln. She said, Abraham Lincoln once famously said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Lincoln never said that. That's a made-up quote that's been widely shared online, and she's too fucking dumb to fact-check. I saw today the thing that really, I mean, in addition to all of the norms stuff, et cetera, et cetera, the fact that the administration used interviews with people who were struggling with housing and struggling with the current pandemic, they were government interviews with officials that were supposed to be helping them through get through benefits of applications and their interviews were used for a video, a campaign video at the convention. Oh yeah. And did you hear about the naturalization ceremony that several of the immigrants who, by the way, were nameless because they were political props, uh, Trump swore them in as citizens or whatever. Uh, and several of them didn't know that it was being televised for the RNC. Like they, kept using poor people and people of color as props through the entire event. Oh, and I, there's just no end to how disgusting it is. And of course, who's going to say anything, even if you do know, because if you don't agree to be a member, like to be a prop, Mm. they'll probably fucking deport you. Exactly. Like that's like an impossible decision. Like, of course they were like, yeah, let's do it. I need to be a citizen. Um, and then at one point, Trump falsely claimed that we have the most, the largest and most advanced coronavirus testing system in the world. And you can tell because 180,000 people have died so far. Um, yeah, just lie after lie after lie. And and I, pro- I fully admit I tried to avoid it as much as I possibly could because I do not have the stomach for that I level know. of horror and misery but for the people i know who did cover it who did work on it uh i just i don't know how you keep your sanity having to dive so deep into that level of hatred paranoia and and just awful yeah and like i know i don't have to tell you guys this a lot of this stuff because you you listen to this podcast uh but and we have way too much shit to get to. But one thing I did want to talk about, because I, I do see it used as a talking point a lot, and I don't know if many people know the real story. I want to talk about the Ann Dorn moment. Um, Ann Dorn was the wife of uh, David Dorn, who was a St. Louis captain. 
who was uh, gunned down and he was killed at the same time the George Floyd protests were happening. But a very, very important point that, of course, they don't make during the RNC uh, is that he was not killed by a protester. It had nothing to do with the George Floyd protests. He was independently checking out a burglary at a pawn shop, and he was shot by uh, one of the burglars. So completely unrelated, but the, it's consistently by the right presented as though he was murdered by a protester during the George Floyd protests. Yeah. And um, his daughters condemned yeah. stepmother, right? Yeah. So both his daughters were like, this is bullshit that he's being used as a political prop. He was black. He was a Democrat and he did not support Trump. So they very vehemently were like, we, we condemn what Anne is doing. Our father would not want to be used as a political prop. And yet she still just had to get up on stage and start talking shit. I know. Uh, so while we're in the bad news section, I wanted to talk about a, a few different types of protests that were happening uh, around the world this past week. Um, but let's start, and I especially wanted to talk about this with you, Meredith, my Wisconsin expert, because uh, I wanted to talk about what's happening in Kenosha. Obviously, um, by now I'm sure we, we've all seen the video of, of Jacob Blake, who according to witnesses, had been trying to break up a fight between two women. The police showed up. He got into some kind of confrontation with them, tried to walk away, and a police officer shot him seven times in the back. I think uh, that they determined it was eight times now. Eight times, okay. Eight times in the back. Uh, he is paralyzed, but alive. Uh, he was briefly handcuffed to his hospital bed, which is wild. They have uh, now his ankle. Yeah, he cannot walk. Yeah, they. Oh God, they've now uh, removed the handcuffs, according to his father. Um, but there were subsequently protests that happened in Kenosha because, yet again, the police shot uh, a, a a black person. And militia showed up and one of the militia uh, men named Kyle Rittenhouse, 17 year old young man, uh, sh shot three protesters, killing two of them and wounding the third. So, you know, obviously there's been a lot of attention in Kenosha because uh, shit is wild. Yes. And I think that this is not going to go away because the police department in Kenosha is fucked. Uh, one of my favorite slash most horrifying uh, things that I saw was a video from 2018 where the county sheriff uh, was talking about black Kenosha residents in Kenosha County uh, saying they don't deserve to be saved, that you know, anyone, if they're going to go out and have 10 babies, that we shouldn't have to support them for their bad decisions. Just the most vile, racist rant you can imagine. And it fits perfectly with some of the things that he has said 
in press conferences in the last few days. And with the police chief also standing up and saying that people wouldn't have, protesters would not have been shot, no one would have been injured if they hadn't been out past curfew. Uh, and then he, the follow-up to that where he's like, my daughter tells me I should talk about the victims of the shooting. And like, then still refuses to use their names. Yeah, I know. Uh, so uh, uh, there's just oh, so yeah. much to talk and about. We, so, and also, like, I'm just going to jump in and, and point out that the, you know, I don't always like to bring things back to politics, but I think it's very important to do that in Wisconsin because the people who are in charge of the legislature who have gerrymandered their way into complete control over both the legislature and the Senate and have stripped the governor, Tony Evers, of essentially all of his actual executive power are out here blaming the shooting protests on the governor for being weak on crime and have also, but have at the same time said that they don't necessarily think they're actually going to take on the police reform bill that is under discussion for the special session. So these is that people- the bill, Is that the bill that's like, we're gonna ban no knock warrants, which like wouldn't have even applied in the situation? It's something that's been sitting for a while, but they did, uh, I. I blanking on the details at the moment, but it isn't the kind of thing that actually would have any particular uh, impact. It's just full on trolling because they want power and they hate black people and they really genuinely wish that every black person in the state of Wisconsin would either die or move to Chicago. It's just wild to me too, because so Kyle Rittenhouse, this 17 year old who is now facing charges uh, for for two murders. Um, is not from Wisconsin. He's from Illinois. He tra- traveled, uh, at least according to reports, drove himself over mm-hmm. state lines to insert himself in this situation. Apparently, uh, actually, his mother drove him. No, I. There were early reports of that, but at least according to what I've seen, the Washington Post is reporting that he drove himself. I don't know. That might not be correct anymore i know that the sheriff was asked about it yesterday and there were some questions about whether or not he was that was still an involvement so i think they haven't you know but i don't know whatever the case is somebody transported him over state lines either himself or his mom somebody else um he kills anthony huber and joseph rosenbaum oh man i don't know if you uh there's a photo making the rounds online of uh the timeline of what happened was that he killed Joseph Rosenbaum first. He shot him in the fucking head and and killed Joseph Rosenbaum. All hell breaks loose. Everybody starts running. Kyle starts running. He's still got the gun. Um, Anthony tried to stop him. And there's like a really horrible photo of him holding his skateboard while he's trying to tackle... Uh, Rittenhouse and then Rittenhouse shot him in the chest and killed him. Um, and then also uh, shot the the third victim as well, whose uh, name I'm spacing on. But uh, he's still alive, thankfully. But uh, somebody got a photo of, of Anthony trying to stop him. And now there's all of these like, as always happens after something like this, there's all of this beautiful art online, especially from like the skateboarding community of him with his skateboard. Cause you know, he's like a committed skateboarder, 
really big in that culture and like to the point where he was holding his board when he died. And that really, really makes me very sad. I know. And that there has been this narrative emerging and being supported by people, by the, by the worst people in the world, Tucker Carlson and everyone else who's sort of like him, that because he had his gun and somebody was physically uh, like coming at him in order to disarm him after he fucking murdered someone by shooting them in the head, that anything he did after that, he was acting in self-defense that he was being menaced and that's why he shot uh, Joseph Rosenbaum in the head and he shot Anthony Huber in the chest and that was him protecting himself because that was what he was doing. And I thought, yeah, you can all fuck right off. Yeah, the the Tucker Carlson quote was, uh, Kenosha has devolved into anarchy. The authorities in charge of the city abandoned it. People in charge from the governor of Wisconsin on down refused to enforce the law. They stood back and watched Kenosha burn. So are we really surprised this looting and arson accelerated to murder? How sh- shocked are we that 17-year-olds with rifles decided that they had to maintain order when no one else would? Everyone can see what was happening in Kenosha. It was getting crazier by the hour. I'm sorry. Maintaining order is going on a fucking shooting melee? Yes, and we have... Uh, how long before somebody pulls another new, like Newtown, Connecticut? Yeah. And yeah. Suddenly it's like, oh, I w- they were just defending themselves against uh, menacing toddlers. And like... And- I know we're all anti-censorship. We're all afraid of the state stepping in and like, you know, shutting down valuable voices like Tucker Carlson's. But like, at what point are you held criminally responsible when you say shit like that? There is a public incitement to violence exception to the First Amendment. Like, yeah, you do have to be like, you're it becomes incitement. And, and, we, and we know Kyle Rittenhouse was a Fox News fan, right? We know he was a Trump supporter. He fucking posted on TikTok. He was in the front row of a Trump rally. This was his community. There are other little Kyle Rittenhouses out there right now watching people like Tucker Carlson being like, you should go shoot the protesters. And of course, we have to talk about the fact that he was a uh, he was in his local uh police explorers program for his yeah. high school. It was uh, all about Blue Lives Matter. Yeah. And in, for people who might not be familiar with this, it is a program that's certainly very common in the Midwest where you basically as a teenager start to learn how to be a cop and you hang out with the school resource officer. So this is a disgusting recruitment tactic that should be completely illegal uh, because it's basically like trying, it, it's like having a re- an army recruitment center in a high school. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. it is, you know, and it always ends up attracting the worst, like most baby fascist I know. losers I know. who think that they have to restore order because they want to be a cop because they want to stop being bullied or they think that they deserve to, to have power over people. And I mean, I tell this story a lot on this show, but to me, it's so illustrative of the, the type of id at work 
with so many people who want to become police officers. But I am friends with someone in California who used to do the psychological profiles of people entering the police academy because they would try to weed out some of the more problematic people. <laughs> you can imagine you can imagine how bad you have to be not to qualify for the police academy. But she was telling me a story about one of the guys that she red flagged. And she actually she didn't know if he ultimately did get into the academy or not. But when she asks every candidate why they want to become a police officer, it's a very simple question. And a guy looked at her and said, to finally get the respect I deserve. (laughs) And she red flagged him. And she's like, no idea if you made it into the academy. And I was like, but to me, that's so illustrative of like, yeah, these are bullies with guns. Yeah. Yeah. It just will continue on like this. So I am... The the fact that he has not yet been extradited and they issued a continuance on that hearing. So he's sitting, he is currently in custody, but he is not in jail in Wisconsin. He is still in Illinois. Oh, and apparently, again, I don't know if this is true because it's a Twitter fact, but apparently um, he was supposed to be in court this morning and the judge and he couldn't get there. And the judge was like, oh, it's cool. It's cool. We don't need him. And it has been confirmed, I believe, that they are, uh, his family is hiring the same lawyer who defended the Covington Catholic chick or kid. Um, Which so was it? The, the lawyer, the, the little, the smug one who was at the protest, the MAGA kid who oh, got... Oh, of fucking yeah. course. Of course. Of course. Uh, so I also wanted to talk about, but we truly don't have enough time, so I'll just touch on it very briefly. Shout out in solidarity to all the protesters in Portland who are just bringing it to the Proud Boys and all of the fucking fascists over there. Um, Robert Evans, who's a journalist, got his hand broken by one of these fucking assholes um, and they're going to sue the shit out of him, which is great. Um, But yeah, Portland is fucking nuts right now, you guys, and has been for like over 60 days now. Um, But also, I wanted to talk about how QAnon has gone global, baby. (laughs) Woohoo! And there were just a ton of global protests uh, this past week all over the world. Uh, Apologies to everybody in the UK who was like, what the fuck is this? What is happening? Who are these people? (laughs) But I wanted to talk about it because... You know, we make fun of QAnon a lot, and I feel like uh, a lot of people on the left make fun of QAnon, but I just wanted to talk about it in terms of cults, because I'm watching Nexium right now on HBO. Uh, it's called The Vow, the documentary about Nexium. Uh, and I was really struck by something as I was watching it, and also when I was hearing some journalists talk about their experience with talking with QAnon conspiracy theorists, And it's that people who join cults, whether it's Nexium, whether it's QAnon, whether it's improv comedy, everybody is looking for acceptance and kindness. And that's just a theme you see everywhere, right? And that's not to excuse QAnon uh, or or their bizarre beliefs or um, any kind of like racist inclinations they have or anything like that but it's to explore the mindset of people who are like why don't you care about child trafficking which is for a lot of QAnon supporters they believe 
that what they're being told is real, that there is a, a conspiracy on the left among Democrats, among the Hollywood elite to traffic and rape children. And they're like, why aren't you supporting us trying to stop this? And it's not necessarily that these people are unsalvageable, right? It's just that they have fallen victim to a cult. And that can happen to really intelligent people who ordinarily you wouldn't think could be susceptible to something like that because internet culture is weird. And like, if you haven't talked to some of your relatives in a while and you check in with them, maybe don't be shocked that they've been exposed to some of these ideas. And, and, you know, if they're still reachable and you feel like emotionally uh, buoyant enough to reach out to them, maybe some of them can be saved. <laughs> but also if it feels like it, you can't, yeah, that's okay too. Because as we have started to see, deprogramming people from these internet-related conspiracies is actually turning out to be harder than de-radicalizing terrorists. It can also be uh, really, really damaging. It can be like uh, the way that some people like deprogram is in itself really traumatizing. So it's not even necessarily like a cure-all. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because uh, I was listening to some journalists on a podcast. I forget which one, but they were talking about they had, you know, interviewed some QAnon people. And the thing that everybody kept saying is everybody's so nice here. Everybody's so welcoming. And same with Nexium. Everybody's so nice here. Everybody's welcoming. Improv at UCB. <laughs> I keep using that as an example. <laughs> Everybody's so nice here. Everybody's so welcoming. And I, I think it has to do with the failure of our institutions. You know, um, nobody, I, I, I won't say nobody, but like a lot of people don't belong to unions anymore. A lot of people don't have community in like the church anymore. A lot of people feel very alone right now, especially now during quarantine and everything that's happening and people are looking for communities and sometimes they'll find good communities and sometimes they'll find really bad communities and cults. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to keep that in mind because I don't think it's helpful to have this mindset. All QAnoners are stupid. Fuck them. Blah, 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 blah. I understand that impulse. The conspiracy theories are incredibly dangerous and they will get people killed guaranteed. I know it's dangerous, but some of these people were looking for a community. They do care about children. They believe 100% everything that they're being told. And that's why they're committed to this cause. It's not yeah. necessarily that they're like an evil person. One of the scariest things about a documentary on the rise of white supremacist group from about 10 years ago, my God, talked about how most of the recruitment tactics focused around targeting people who were having a hard time getting jobs, who felt alienated, and then immediately giving them a place where they could talk about their economic and personal struggles. And I think that's become, that's the economic anxiety argument, but that's the gateway. Yeah, Actually yeah. giving someone a safe space to feel like they're supported when they feel so, uh, they feel so alone in trying to make, you know, to have any sort of dignity in either their job or their, their lives. Uh, once you've gotten somebody in the door from that, you start talking about the crazy shit, you know, and you yeah. start texting, you know, you're getting branded and you're in a sex cult. 
And I, people see stuff like that and they're like, well, they're stupid. How could they have let it go that far? And it's like, people really underestimate how lonely people are, how they're looking for guidance, how hard life is for so many people right now. And the extent that you'll be willing to go when you find community that supports you as you are and doesn't make you feel fucking stupid and makes you feel really loved. Like people will defend that with their lives, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Guys, on that note, that's enough of the bad. Let's get to some dang good news. Here's your good news. In good news, we got to talk about this solidarity strike that spread like wildfire. Speaking of what's happening in Kenosha with the shooting of Jacob Blake, the NBA, the WNBA, the MLB, that's baseball, son. Uh, Even uh, Naomi Osaka called off her dang game in solidarity with the protests. It was really extraordinary to see, but it was borderline unprecedented that uh, there were some uh, baseball teams who refused to play because I don't know if you guys know this, baseball usually does not uh, get involved with the politics. Yes, baseball tends to be a mite tad conservative when it comes (laughs) to uh, their concerns about how political engagement might affect America's pastime. Uh, But this was one of the only good things that happened this week. And I am so proud of the players who did a wildcat strike and saw results immediately, almost immediately. The conversations that happened inside the bubble and the, what they organized once they had everybody's attention and had refused to play Madison Square Garden is going to be a polling location in November because of their actions. There is going to be mass voter drives that they're going to work on. And this is something that they, those are concessions they forced from the NBA because they held their labor for like two days. (laughs) Right. And yeah, just a general thing, guys, Uh, when workers withhold their labor, that's called a strike when consumers withhold their money. That's a boycott. (laughs) I saw a lot of confusion, uh, but this was a strike because they were withholding their labor, their workers. They, they work for their respective leagues. Yeah, it was, it was really, uh, you and I were texting when everything was happening because it was kind of, um, it was happening very fast where, you know, there was rumbling that the NBA was going to cancel games and, there has been a lot of politics in the NBA. I think we've sort of become accustomed to seeing like LeBron James uh, weigh in on these matters. And I think sometimes we forget that he is extraordinary and is maybe uh, definitely one of the most important uh, figures in professional athletics of all time. Um, But like we sort of take for granted, it's like, Oh yeah, LeBron made a statement, but then there were these photos of like baseball players kneeling. And that's when I was like, what the fuck, what the fuck is happening? And like, it it felt like it spread 
more efficiently than it ever has before. And I think that's because, unfortunately, we've we've been here so many times before. And in fact, this happened, this wildcat strike happened on the anniversary of Colin Kaepernick kneeling. Which it obviously had, they, they were not thinking about that when they right. decided it was time to take action specifically. But that's that's just a powerful coincidence that I think will be in the history books. That this date is a historic one for action. And I really, you know, once again, bringing it back to Wisconsin, I really want to point out how important and significant it is that the Bucks were the team that started this, arguably the best team in the NBA. They were absolutely dominant before everything shut down during the, like for the pandemic, were coasting to a championship essentially. And, but they are as a team intimately familiar with police violence against their own ranks. A young player named Sterling Brown uh, was brutally arrested, tased, and uh, mocked for a shoddy parking job at a mall in Milwaukee. Um, And the police department essentially tried to buy his silence in a settlement, and he refused. And he talked openly. He got a great amount of support from his teammates. But his teammates, they all know that this is something that they can't avoid. And being and Kenosha is 40 miles from uh, from Milwaukee. This is very much close to home. Um, they understand what it means to be a black man in that part of the country. And they know, you know, it does not surprise me that they decided that that was this was the moment that they needed to take action. I'm so proud that other teams listened to them and joined forces and led this action of solidarity because it's a big fucking deal. And it's wonderful to see sports teams getting in on the proud labor organizing history of, of resistance that comes out of, uh, comes out of my home state. Yeah. I mean, we, we keep seeing these beautiful examples of solidarity on these teams where it's, it's, you know, obviously, uh, it, it begins with the usually the black players on the team because they're the ones dealing with the police on a daily basis. They see what's happening in their communities and and it's affecting them primarily. But then the solidarity of the the non-black players on the team, the white players on the team. And now because it feels like the momentum has shifted, even some of the the owners of the teams have had to you know, um, show their support, whether they actually feel it in their souls or not, I don't know, but they feel like forced <laughs> that they have to. And, and, you know, that like the NBA itself having to be like black lives matter. We support the players. Um, again, whether that's, they've had like a, a spiritual awakening or they're like, Oh shit, if they don't play, we don't make money. Whatever the case might be. It does feel like there is now this precedent this structure in place where when the Jacob Blake uh, police shooting happened, it felt like everything happened very efficiently. Or is that just in my head? I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I, there, I don't even, it's so odd that we can talk about large scale public 
statements of protest happening efficiently or, or these uprisings kind of coming together smoothly. But I do think that's right. And I think that it's clear that what these discussions started right away. This was, you know, they were fully engaged with the questions of what their contract said, what the labor was, and they wanted to join in. This is, uh, it's really wonderful to see these guys living the values that they've, you know, coming out and demonstrating how this goes. But yeah, I think you're like when they, when they came out of the locker room and they had their statements like on paper and they were ready to go, I was like, Oh, they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That was a full on, like we've been in the, we've been in situations like that where you sit down in a group and you want to say something and you have to figure it out and you vote on how you want to word something and you decide that everyone's got to be on board before you're going to go out and, and make an official statement. Like, those guys were fucking ready. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, uh, and also, like, we should also point out that this is all stuff that comes from women's sports as well. That the women of the WNBA, of uh, the national women's soccer team, have been on the front lines and putting themselves, uh, you know, at risk, their livelihoods at risk to, to make these protests. Uh, well before a lot of, of other professional athletes were willing to do that. And I think that we'd be, we'd be doing a disservice to the absolute fucking queens of the WNBA if we didn't uh, um, mention that they've been, they've been out here being very active uh, and then immediately threw their support behind all of the players inside the bubble. And Not only did they immediately do that, they also had t-shirts that spelled out Jacob Blake's name and on the back there were seven seven red marks representing seven or eight how many times he was shot in the back um but like so savvy like they just knew like there had to be a visual statement because the press was going to be there and like they're just they're very good at this yeah and I think that the anything that will put to an end the shut up and dribble, shut up and play narrative of conservatives who believe that these people are entertainers who have no brains um, is wonderful. And I love that there is so much dedication to making the world a better place because they know that they're fortunate. And I love that. Yeah. And to any conservative out there who's like, man, it sucks having to hear about this. I promise you it sucks more to get shot eight times in the back. So as inconvenienced as you are by having to hear political messaging, just know that the reason that black players do this is because they're fighting for their fucking lives and they don't want to be doing it either. Yeah. I made a, I made a comment to my dad about how excited I was to see the Brewers join in right away. I thought that was, I mean, a wonderful show of solidarity really proves that the Milwaukee teams are great. But he said, he responded, well, I think there's only one American, like, actual American black man on their roster right now. And I said, well, you don't have to be an American black man to be treated like a black man in America. <laughs> and- <laughs> very true. Very true. So also in good news, because we kind of got a haul through this, we're, we're going long, guys. There was so much to talk about. I wanted to just laugh for a second about Rand Paul being a big old weenie as he was leaving the White House uh, during the RNC. There were a lot of protests in Washington, obviously. Um, 
uh, on Friday, I believe there was the, the, the big March on Washington, but there were a bunch of smaller protests happening in Washington, DC during the RNC, uh, Rand Paul and his wife were leaving the, uh, Republican national convention. They were heckled by protesters. They had to be escorted by the DC police department. And Rand Paul tweeted like he had just fought for his life. He was like, just got attacked by an angry mob of over a hundred, one block away from the white house. Thank you, DC police department for literally saving our lives from a crazed mob. And like, absolutely his life was not in jeopardy but uh it was very funny and i just wanted to shout out the protesters but also laugh about what a giant fucking coward Rand paul is he's he was traumatized by getting punched in the face by his neighbor <laughs> hey maybe you shouldn't be a dick to your neighbor dude i don't know what happened but uh i bet he earned that punch in the face knowing Rand paul and I'm sorry, but if you want to see angry mobs, I have some uh, sad predictions for how the rest of this year is going to go. Because I don't you're, think that we'll stop you're not me. allowed. You're not allowed to articulate our worst fears in the good news section. <laughs> <laughs> you're not oh, allowed to do it. I want. Uh, oh no, I, I meant us. I meant the good kind of angry mob. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the guillotine kind. Yes, yes, yes. yes. We didn't even talk about Jeff Bezos and how he's made, uh, what is it, 90 90, uh, billion since the pandemic? Is that right? Is that a real number? Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. As as Boots Riley said, we got the guillotine, you better run. I keep... I keep quoting that song because it's a banger. It's a great song. And also... Uh, I don't know if you saw the protesters that had the the guillotine in front of Jeff Bezos' house, but tick tock, tick tock. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I also wanted to talk about this is very funny. Kellyanne Conway stepping down from her job as, as Trump's top advisor, and there's been a lot of speculation about why she's deciding to do this. She did say that she's doing this because she wants to go spend time with her family, and of course, everybody's wondering. <laughs> If this is because her daughter, Claudia Conway, um, has been incessantly posting about her very strained relationship with her parents and how she thinks they're both fascists <laughs> and <laughs> she she hates them and she hates Trump and she's just been talking about it a bunch on TikTok. So maybe Kellyanne had to go uh, talk to her daughter. Hey, anything that gets her out of things kind of amazing kind of amazing if that that's why she had to step down because claudia was mouthing off on tiktok <sighs> she's like i've just got to get her under control and i can't find <laughs> her devices if i'm not at home <laughs> like it has to be kind it does have to be embarrassing right if you're kellyanne conway and your daughter is constantly posting about what a monster you are it kind of does make sense that she would have to be like, I got to go take care of this. Hey, I mean, my God. Um, can I Can I just add that I think it's good news that Melania looked so silly when she gave her speech. Like, she looked like she was cosplaying Ilsa from uh, The Last Crusade, like Elsa Schneider from Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. <laughs> I, I have a question. Yes. Who... Are conservatives just that out of touch that they didn't realize her dress was a green screen? <laughs> or or were they sort of like, this will be a useful distraction? Or like, do you think that they just truly didn't know 
that the internet would go to town on that dress. I think that she just insisted she was going to go for a certain aesthetic and it turned out to be that one. So and her, her taste level is appalling. Like what she considers, like the way she, I not to get into like superficial shit that doesn't matter, but like her Christmas decorations, what she did to the Rose Garden, every outfit that she has picked out for herself, it is offensive to my eyes. I know. I don't even, I, you know, I'm a total New Yorker. I wear a lot of black. Yeah. Seeing some of her outfits make me want to wear loud Miami style floral caftans all the time. Yeah, that like brutal sort of minimalism. Yeah, just like she is so clearly a joyless person on every level. That is like watching her try to smile at someone is like horrifying. Yeah, uh, we can go back on topic. I just really that yeah, dress sorry. was so stupid. It made me giggle. <laughs> um, so I get yeah. Let's make this the last one because we're we're so out of time. Um, so I wanted to talk about Jerry Falwell Jr. because again, I think it's very, very funny. Uh, turns out he uh, he was in sort of like a cucking menage a trois um, with a a young man who used to be their their pool boy named Giancarlo Granda. Which again, if you're gonna have a pool boy, that does have to be his name legally. <laughs> Um, and he and his wife, Becky had an arrangement with this young man where Giancarlo and, and Becky would have sexual relations and Jerry knew about it. And this isn't of course to shame any kind of relationship or situation or arrangement like that between consenting adults, totally fine. But what is deeply funny about it in this situation is once again, a, uh, religious far right figure turns out lo and behold, what are the odds to be a huge fucking hypocrite? Absolutely. It's the hypocrisy, not the hot wife thing. That is the issue yes. here. Yes. If you want to, if you are a lefty and you're, you really get off on a, a good old fashioned cucking, is it offend? Like do, do cucks embrace the title cuck or is that offensive to them? Uh, I think that they do embrace it and that it only became a, a slur when people decided that it was uh, part of the um, it was the conservatives. I think they decided to start calling people cucks because so many people are actually into cucking. A thousand percent. I'm sure it's like way more common than people know about. No shade at all. If you if that gets you off and it's consent all the way, then great. I'm, yeah. I'm really happy for you. Definitely really don't do that when you're making millions of dollars by running a university that has moral clauses against like staying out past 10 PM. And this obviously <laughs> is not the first time Jerry Falwell Jr. has been busted doing something like this. He had that really weird social media post where he was like on a boat with a woman with his arm around her, with his pants undone. And he was probably drinking. Like he has been off the rails for so long. Um, but I find it deeply funny whenever and like a figure like him who is so sanctimonious, who has done, um, so much damage to the LGBT community among, you know, other communities is revealed to be a hypocrite. I think it's very funny. And the fact that his pool boy was named Giancarlo Granda is just, yeah. Wow, Italian kiss, Italian chef kiss. 
Oh, I hope that kid has a has a good life ahead of him. He just, you know, he deserves some happiness after spending several years having to deal with that. Having to bone Becky while Jerry is laying on the bed and giggling as he was, Ugh. as as Granda said he was. Can you imagine? I mean, Giancarlo, the fact that he could perform during that is like, do, I think we should give him an award of some kind. I I do too. What kind of I award? Think we should, I think we should make him a plaque. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what it should say. So you get one of those bowling trophies you can buy at like the sporting goods store. But instead of a guy bowling, it's him plowing Becky <laughs> while while Jerry's watching in the corner. Yes, yeah. we yeah. should absolutely yeah. do that. Okay, we decided, guys. Now that we've decided that, please go follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Please follow Light Treason. We're on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. A bunch of you added us recently on Instagram. Thank you so much. Keep that going. Engage with the posts, all that stuff. Uh, Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, lighttreason.news. Thank you so much for all the support, you guys, especially during these times. You have no idea how much it means. And on that note... Guys, stay inside and cause a little trouble. <laughs>